Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. We're going to John this time. John chapter 5, the last two we'll continuing on in Luke as we uh, met both the, um, the Gentile centurion and also the woman uh, widow that was leading the processional, which we'll talk about a little bit as we go. But today we're going to go into another, um, another one that, and again, I want to just see the, some of the similarities as well as the uniquenesses. So if you're there, chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to read a chunk, talk a little, read a chunk, talk a little. And it says this, it says, after this, so this is after Jesus heals an official son, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bashida, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been, already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stored up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up and take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said uh, to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in place. So if we're looking for similarities, we're going to take and follow the same model that we've done for the last couple of weeks and start off by looking at the cast of characters. First off, you have Jesus. He's been in all of these that we've been going through in these testimonies. And we're learning more about Jesus, going to be more about Jesus. And then the man that we know is an invalid. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in one of our, our points, a little bit deeper. But one thing that I do really want to express here that I think is awesome and a good side note for all of us to remember is that when it comes to Jesus and it comes to the man, that Jesus knew the man had been there for a long time. He knew he had been there for years. There was nothing within this that he got that information from somebody else or somebody else came up and, uh, you know, they were talking about this guy and Jesus took compassion on him. But Jesus knew his situation. And I think that's important for us to know because in all these years of ministry, I can't tell you how many times someone has said to me that they either been so messed up or their, their situation is so jacked up or uh, they've been struggling for so long it just doesn't feel like God's even aware of what they're going through or that God's even active on what they're going through. It's a real easy place for Satan to try to put us into in some of our darkest, more, more stressful times. And for some of us that can last for years. But the reality is, just like we see here, Jesus is aware of what he's going through. Jesus is aware of what you're going through. And he is active. And he will meet you there. Just like what Mike was talking about earlier, there, there's a lot of things that we credit God's movement for and forget that it was actually God that was behind it the entire time, through the neighbor, through the mill, whatever the case may be. That's very common for us to do. Um, I remember one time I was down um, 
at Church of the Cove in Tennessee. We, so if you've been around for a while, you've heard about the, the, that church. We used to do a lot of work with them um, down, in the, it's down in the Smokies. And I remember one Sunday I was there, and on that particular Sunday I was preaching. And afterwards, uh, a gentleman grabbed my arm and said, hey, can we talk? So we talked probably about a good 40, 45 minutes. And he was telling me just about his life, and he was in a really, really tough place, really tough season for a very long period of time. And a couple of things that were said during the sermon reached out to him, or spoke to him, or encouraged him a little bit, and he wanted to talk about, about that. And then he went into, God seems to have forgotten about me. This doesn't seem like I can ever get ahead. I never see God move and everything. And I said, okay, let's, let's stop there for a second, because you're missing it. I said, God is so aware of what you're going through right now that he took some smuck from Ohio, made him travel over two states to be here today to preach on this topic so that you could hear those words because he wanted to encourage you today. And a lot of times on something like this, I need to get straight back to Ohio, but he had cleared up, I'm going to be here for the rest of the day and I don't leave till tomorrow. So you and I can have this talk. God's mindful of you. He cares about you and he's moving on your behalf. We miss it a lot. We miss it a lot. And I, I have those conversations all the time. Whenever you think that God's not moving, stop and think about what's going on around you as you might be just missing that point. So I love, I love that aspect in this. Uh, cast of character, why, again, we've got to talk about where we're at. We're in Jerusalem. So we're in the big city, the, the capital city of Judaism at this time. Uh, and it is packed. It is packed. I know that because a feast is going on. There were three feasts each year that God commanded them to celebrate, and that's what they're doing here. One of the things, if you, I think I mentioned this when we first started the Jesus uh, study, but one of the things that's really cool about Jesus as a family is where they live in Galilee, they would be exempt from having to go to Jerusalem for the feast. They can do their home version, like have a home kit type deal. They don't have to go to Galilee. Uh, Jesus always went for the feast in Jerusalem. And his family is the same way. That's where we get the story about them le accidentally leaving their kid behind, great parents. And uh, like he's teaching at the synagogue when he's 12. It's because they always traveled for these feasts, which means that Jesus, at least, at least through his public ministry years, three months out of every year, he was on the road going back and forth for these three feasts. Because it was a heck of a haul. So, so but that means everybody else is there as well. So it's a packed place. There's a lot going on in Jerusalem. Um, and then there's also within Jerusalem the, the Pool of Bethesda. Um, and I know sometimes people like, like visuals. So we'll give you a, a visual of the Pool of Bathsheba. There's that first picture there. There it is. Isn't that nice? <laughs> that, uh -huh. It's really not that funny. I appreciate you guys being nice to me. We'll go, let's go to the next one, Chris. I knew that was lame. <laughs> A, there it is. That, that's an artist's rendering of the Pope Bashida. Um, for a long time, a long, long time, uh, skeptics of the faith use the Pope Bashida to take and say that this is a myth. Because as much as they have searched, as much as they searched, nothing matched up to what John detailed out in the scripture until the 19th century. We found, found the pool. It's now called the Pool of St. Anne. There's St. Anne's just outside. There's actual pictures I could show you, but it's, kind of, it's archaeological dig, so it's kind of hard to make it out. But this is what it looked like in its heyday, and we do have the foundation of it still today that matches up exactly to what he was talking about. The pool itself, we can go back to us for a little bit if you don't mind. Uh, the pool itself is the bottom one. The top one is the basin that, that feeds into the pool. That pool is... A, equivalent to the size of a football field 
if we're going to use educated biblical imagination of what's going on there, it's a massive, massive pool. And so if you're thinking about, okay, here's, here's the pool, and it, it's crowded around it, people that are blind, lame, and, and need, need healing, that's the scene that Jesus is walking into. It's not just like 30 or 40 people. This is a massive situation that they send people there. Because, again, in the Jewish law, they had to take care of people that were in need, but they were also, by Jesus' time, as we talked about before, especially when we look at, like, Bethany and the alms villages, they had a kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind standpoint. There were places they sent people had need, so they didn't have to see them from day to day. So it's kind of uh, kind of equivalent in some cases, not all cases, but I taught nursing homes for a long period of time, and a lot of my friends were out of sight, out of mind from the family. They want to make sure they're taken care of, but they never visited, they never called. That's kind of what the culture was like within this. Um, and so that, it would be a massive, massive pool. Now, if you're reading through with me, and if you have the ESV, which is what I read, you're going to notice that there's no verse 4. You might have that uh, in some other translations as well. Uh, that is because, and, and this is one of the things I love about the Bible, is we have all these manuscripts, copies upon copies upon copies upon copies that have been sent out all over that we compare. We've got thousands of copies of these early manuscripts. And when they compare them, sometimes there might be a verse or, a, uh, or, or two sentences that's not in all of them, okay? But if in all of them, they make it to the top of the page which I think is the bomb. I mean, I mean, I come across people all the time, they're like, oh, it's been changed so much, depending on man's agenda. Back to the earliest manuscripts you've got in the first two centuries, if they don't match across the board, they don't get to the top of the page. If it doesn't, then it gets me to the bottom of the page, which you might have there, where it says, some manuscripts insert wholly or in part, waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down to a certain... Uh, of." down of certain seasons into the pool and stored the water. Whoever stepped in first after the storing of the water was healed of whatever disease that he had. That's why he was waiting there, is what, what they, they believed. Uh, I believe, and there's some different theories on this, the reason this is in some and not in all is John didn't include that originally because everybody knew it. They, they knew that was the culture. But it is believed that maybe John's disciples after his death, after that started to change, added that in for people, you know, smuck like me or people like us later down the road to know this is what they thought, this is what they believed. Now, I have no idea if an angel actually did that or if that was the legend, and so that's why people moved there. I think after 38 years, if nobody's getting healed, maybe they would catch on to something. And I'm not going to say God's not doing miraculous things. So some people said that it was actually like the spring water filling back in we caused the bubbles, and they thought it was something supernatural, but there's no springs. It's a basin that feeds down in. So I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you exactly what that is, but I definitely believe God could do it if he wanted to, but it wasn't working out for this guy right here. So with that, also the football field is also 20 feet deep, so if you jump in. Um, okay, so and then the last characters we have are the Jews, which we'll talk about as we go on. Okay, so let's get into our points for our note-takers. Yes, they're the exact same four points of the last two weeks. This is week three, number one. We don't deserve his move, but he does move. We don't deserve his move, but he does move. If you've not been here, we talked about that from a realistic spiritual standpoint, that you and I don't deserve anything um, at all because we're sinners, we're born into sin. However, 
through the grace of God, through the sacrifice of Christ, to leave heaven to come to this earth, to live this planet when he's used to heaven is insane to me, but to live the perfect example, to take and die and raise again so that we can accept him as lead and forgive in our lives by acknowledging with our mouth that he is the son of God and believing in our hearts he died and rose again and say, you're God, I'm not, I'm going to follow you from now on. That, 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 that's a gift that he gave us. Again, that's Hest. Hest is a Greek word that's hard to translate. We're using the, trans, uh, the word to translate. Sometimes they say grace or they say loving kindness. Uh, we're using uh, the, the phrase when you have the right to expect absolutely nothing from somebody, but yet that somebody gives you everything. That's Hest. That's what Jesus is. So we don't deserve his move. We don't own his move, but he does move. And we looked at with the Gentile uh, centurion, some of the reasons culturally they would not think that he would be worthy of Jesus moving on his behalf. We looked at the widow last week of culturally why some of the people would think that she's not worthy of him moving on their behalf to, 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 to teach out as these metaphors for what we know spiritually. Uh, in this one, we have it again. We do have a Jewish person, so he's, twi- he's above the centurion, right? We do have a male this time, uh, instead of a female, within the culture that does put him a, a step up versus what we talked about last week. Amanda's throwing things back in the sound booth for no apparent reason. There's a reason? Not a, no, huh? It was Scott? Okay. Carrie, get control of your man. Okay. But man-wise, he would be up. But when it comes to, but when it comes to him being an invalid, that would take him down the bar very quickly. Again, he's out of sight, out of mind when it comes to uh, these things that, that they'd be uh, dealing with. Now, I've always read this, and, and again, this is Tom commentary, so you don't have to grab it like the scripture you're stuck with, but me, you just, whatever, uh, you, you feel is right. But I've always read it from a standpoint like this guy just had no hope. Like he was just in such despair. It's been 38 years, and he just kind of like was an overwhelmed, despaired person. Um, as I've been saying the last couple of years, um, there, there is a, a theory out there that, I, that I'm grabbing hold of more and more to the point that I'm going to kind of teach from this perspective today, that it wasn't just a no-hope situation, but that he had moved into kind of victim mentality situation. Um, Michael Card, who, again, you, you'll hear over and over because I've been using a lot of his resources as well as others, but he's kind of been kind of the center, uh, refers to him as the man of many excuses. That, that he, that no matter what you kind of get from this guy, it's always the reason why it can't be this or it can't be that. They slipped into a victim mentality. Now, uh, again, all of us know people that are going through horrible times if we're not ourselves. And all of us know people that are victim mentality that their situation has become their identity. And they almost seem to feel more comfortable being a victim all the time or things not going their, their way all the time. And, and I'm kind of starting to see this guy from that standpoint because, again, it's, uh, I have no one to put me in the pool. I can't get to the pool. Other people jump in front of me. Um, there, there's a, a lot of um, actually... Could, could be good reasons, but also kind of seem like flimsy excuses at the same time. That after 38 years, there should be some kind of solution to help with that. Does that make sense? And one of the, the, the things that we have to really watch, is because I believe this is true, many people in this world, the only thing between them and Jesus is a flimsy excuse. I don't have time. I can't do what he called me to do. I, I can't trust him with this. Um, and it appears, if you look at it from that standpoint, which I do think has a lot of validity um, 
That's an interesting way to look at it. And another reason I think it has validity within it is this is the only time that I remember Jesus doing this. When Jesus comes up to this man in the middle of this crowd and, and says, says to him, what? Do you want to be healed? You know, I mean, like, depending on how that's, that's asked, it kind of seems like, like he gets what this guy's going through. He gets where this guy is. And I'm asking, do you want to get healed? Well, you know, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, but do you really want to get healed? Um, he's not really at a place that is screaming out uh, that he's at the top of the culture that deserves Jesus' move, which we know is crap anyways. So I think it kind of puts us in that same ballpark of realizing uh, just how good God is, how, how awesome Jesus is. Second one is Jesus. Who is that? It is Jesus isn't for show of worldly standards. Uh, this one I'll preach a little bit more on, and some of the others. This one is just pretty simple. Again, uh, Jesus isn't for show. He's not calling a big crowd around. Actually, if you read this carefully, I've, I'm not even sure if John was there. He just wrote it down. I, it doesn't say there's a large crowd of Jesus. Uh, he doesn't call together an audience. He doesn't get up on a stage. He doesn't have any kind of special lights going on. He doesn't do some kind of abracadabra, uh, anything out of nature. He just is talking to this guy and says, get up. Get up. Um, so he doesn't really care about the show. And sometimes we see different in different environments on that. Uh, but the other thing that we have to see that continues on is he does it on the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is Saturday. It's not Sunday. Uh, the Jewish leaders had put a lot of rules around the law that God gave them to keep people away from coming close to breaking the law, and one of those would be carrying the mat. God never said that. They did, and, um, but he didn't really care about that. He's constantly breaking uh, the oral law to be able to show what the fulfillment of the law looks like, uh, to the point that sometimes I wonder if Jesus is like, I could go hire, heal this guy. To, nah, it's Friday. We'll wait till tomorrow. No, I don't think that. But, but it seems like he's always trying to make a point. Number three, faith matters. Faith matters. And the first one when we talked about the centurion had the faith that amazed Jesus. I only mentioned twice in the scripture that Jesus amazed once is the disfaith of the Jewish people and one is the faith of the Gentile. Last week we saw that the woman didn't even have time to have faith, that Jesus just did what he did. Uh, in this case, um, I think it's a little bit more interesting because you can see that from a couple of different standpoints. It doesn't really talk about the faith of the man. He doesn't know about Jesus. He hadn't heard about Jesus. We, we see nothing from that standpoint uh, to the point that he can't identify Jesus later. Um, but when Jesus says, get up, he got up. And I don't know if that kind of hints that he's like, well, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if he felt the healing somehow in his body, and that's what gave him the courage to stand up. Uh, but one thing that repeats here that we've seen in the other ones as well is that Jesus tells you, get up, you get up, that the absolute load is load absolutely. There was something about his teaching. There's something about his commands that people were amazed by his authority. People were amazed by his word, amazed by his life. And so when Jesus says, get up, get up. And that's what one of the things we're trying to grow in in our personal lives, that if Jesus says that I do it. If Jesus says that I do it. And stop with the, the, the lack of faith, flimsy excuses that come between Jesus and us sometimes. Um, so God bless you on that. Four, everything is turned upside down. After every healing, we have everything turned upside down. But this one's different. This, this one's different. There's, I, 
Uh, there's got to be some amazement. I think John at least was there. There's got to be some amazement. But that doesn't seem to be the point of what John's trying to get through to, to us. Um, things just are different. Jesus withdraws. He, he leaves the spot. Uh, we're going to find that this miracle is not done yet. But there has, there's something that has to happen between Jesus healing the man and Jesus addressing what the real miracle would be, what the real healing would be. Uh, so that's different. That's something we see different within this. We also see the other thing that's different within this is that the people that are aware, they're not aware of the healing, but they're aware that he's carrying around his bed, um, that they resent it. That they resent it. Things are turned upside down from a different perspective than what we've seen before. Now, it's going to lead to two new points for you this week, so let me keep reading. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, we'll give you another one. Five. And these are a continuation, the, the, the unique from the other two that we had. Uh, not everybody will be on board with the healing. When you are healed physically, spiritually, relationally, uh, emotionally, mentally, whatever the case may be, not everybody's going to be on board with the healing. Um, and that, I think, is important for us to know as we go to claim more freedom in Jesus Christ, as he makes us whole, which leads to wholeness. Not everybody's going to be on board with that. Um, for instance, I, I wrote down a few that, that you, you might already know, you might want to jot down. Uh, some just won't believe. They're not believers in Jesus Christ. So it would be a very big stumbling block for them to believe that you've had a major change in your life because of Jesus. Uh, for others, it doesn't fit what they think needs to happen. Now, you all know you know somebody who fits that bill. You know somebody who fits that bill. I'm, uh, I'm a church consultant, and I, I'm certified in church consulting, and I love meeting with groups and churches and staffs and brainstorming. Uh, right now, I'm serving um, with Jenny, uh, with Love Inc. is being transformed into a new ministry called Aspire Ministries. And I'm on their temporary board, uh, which is a lot of it is just brainstorming, writing new bylaws and what things are going to go to. And we had our first meeting that I uh, was at, my first meeting I was invited to. Uh, and, I, and I loved it because I'm a, um, again, I like consulting boards. I don't like working boards because I would have got enough things on my plate. But I love to babble. And uh, I love boards. You don't have a microphone anymore. Uh, I love boards that um, you can, that everybody says what they think, but they don't own it so much that they get offended if you don't agree. You know, I think that's where real magic happens, is when, when we can really push and, and pull and, and those type of things. I have been part of boards where someone comes with the, uh, this, this is what has to happen, or I'm out of here. I love you, goodbye. Uh, I don't even know what the point is yet, but we don't, I, I don't do that. But we, there's a lot of people in life that feel you have to do it their way that will not be on board with the healing. Uh, if you had um, a back, uh, uh, I don't want to use back injury. Well, let's say, say back injury, 
and you have an ant that has the best chiropractor in the world, and Jesus heals you from the, the back injury, uh, and especially she doesn't know Jesus, she might not be on board with your healing. Be like, yeah, okay, I'm glad you're feeling better right now. That's at, you know, like taking a sugar pill, but you really need to go to the chiropractor. Not everybody's going to be on board if it's not their way. Uh, misery loves company. That's why some people won't like it, because you're no longer in bondage, and they want you in bondage. Um, I, Don, and I've shared this with the people. I think I shared it with Don and Cheryl this, this past week, too. I like having lunch with, with Don. Don is on our worship team. Um, because Don is the only person on our worship team that I can have lunch with and sit and talk about our aches and pains because we're both older now. You know what I mean? Do, do you have aches and pains? Okay. And you're, I'm not allowed to ask you your age. I thought you were older than that. I'm sorry. I, I never understood how your mom was only 52 and you were 48. No. Give it 10 more years, baby. Give it 10 more years. Because that's all we can talk about. That's all we got going on. If Don receives a miraculous healing and he's got the energy of a 25-year-old, I don't know who to have tacos with anymore. You know what I mean? So, so there's some of that. Again, that's a funny way of saying it, but we all know that misery loves company, and some people will not be thrilled that you're not in the same boat that they are anymore. I mean, the hope is, is that they come to Jesus through that and find their own freedom, but that doesn't always happen. Um, some people like you being co codependent on them. I worked under a pastor once when I was younger. He wanted people codependent on him, so he felt like he had value. That's not our role as counselors, as pastoral care. It's to help you find freedom in Jesus Christ. Uh, we can be bridged to that. We can cry with you. We can laugh with you. But you should not be dependent on Tom. And then the one thing to know is if you're looking for a healing of Christ, some people will pull away from you. And that's okay. The hope is, is they draw closer to Jesus, but some will walk away from you. And that's what we see here when it comes to the, the, the Jewish people that were here at that particular time. Number six, Jesus completes what he started. Jesus completes what he started. Again, most of the healings have a real miracle behind them. that has not, not that much to do with the healing. There's a bigger message to it. And this guy had a heart issue. And Jesus wanted to heal it. And so he healed him, stepped off, and he was still a man of many excuses. When the blind man was healed, and they were, he was questioned about it, the blind man says, look, I don't know who did this. I don't know what's what. All I know is I was blind and I can see, praise God. This guy, with his math in his hand, said, oh, all I know is the guy that, that he, he told me I had to pick it up and, and, and carry it. It's all Jesus' fault. So we don't see a real heart change here. So Jesus comes back. Jesus found him, which means Jesus sought him. Jesus found him. Jesus reached out to him and said, look, here's the real healing that needs to happen. Stop sinning. Or something worse is going to happen to you, and I don't want that for you. And he immediately goes to the Jews and says, oh, here's the guy's name. He's immediately back to it. We don't really see a real miracle in this man's life as much as we see a real healing physically. That's different than what we've seen so far. And I don't know what happens to the guy. Jesus promises something would go worse if he did. Hopefully he got it straight before it got bad. Maybe he didn't, but I know one thing I was horrible to start on this. 
because of the way he handled the situation, they wanted to kill Jesus. So we definitely see that there's struggles there on how we receive the healing instead of just whether or not Jesus is going to heal us, which is usually what we're asking for when Jesus has something much, much deeper. So from this particular study, the question becomes, is it not imperative to take times, like, again, like Mike was talking about earlier, to treasure the things that God has done, to, to be mindful of what God has done, to sit down and think through the circumstances and say, okay, how did God move the, that for me? How is God bringing that person in my life to reach out in this moment? How is God bringing that particular scripture verse or that particular memory or that particular song to encourage me instead of just thinking about these coincidences? Because he's doing that to heal you, to bring you to wholeness. And you're not going to catch it if you just think it's something that's just something that's part of the day. So many people abuse what Jesus is doing in their lives. And they don't mean to. But it's a matter of changing our hearts. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.